0: Hey, welcome to the Behind the Screen Podcast. Andy Benoit, my friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Hit that subscribe button. Greg, heading into, what are we, week 11 now, are we? And uh, the the news, I guess, around the league was Deshaun Watson snuck up on people. He's had injuries all season long. Kind of a new one, similar, whatever, it comes out. He's gone, though. Browns are right in the playoff hunt. Is this it for them, or do you think they can... You know, where do the Browns go from here? Let's start with that.
1: Well... Uh, they're going to start Thompson Robinson this week. They've announced that. So he will get a full week of practice. Um, you know, he's a player whose tape I did coming out of UCLA. He played a lot of snaps in college. Um, I kind of liked his college tape. He played one game this year, which kind of happened. I think it was thrust upon him and he did not play well, but that would uh, to be, be expected. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I think what it does is it, it kind of raises a larger question about, teams and today's NFL, I think anyway, you know, can you, they're obviously in the playoff hunt and they're striving to make the playoffs and obviously go deep in the playoffs as every team is. Can you win in this league, you know, consistently, number one, even in the regular season, and then two in the playoffs, if essentially your offense is, purely a complimentary piece. In other words, if you have to rely on your defense to be really good, the Browns defense has played at a pretty high level this year with some really strong individual players who dictate how offenses have to play against them and a run game, you know, can you, can you in today's NFL get to, you know, I hate being cliched, but there's no other way to say it, get to where you want to go with the defense and your run game being the foundation of your, your team. You know, that that to me is yeah. the question now that a team like the Jets face, the Browns face, you know, uh, just, I guess Aaron Rodgers may be coming back at some point, but I, we'll have to wait and see on that. But, you know, that that is kind of the larger question, Andy.
0: Yeah. And so I think it would start with, first of all, you probably would have to have. A truly elite defense, if you will—is yep. the word elite—but an elite defense, which I think the Browns have been this season so far. They've played at an extremely high level. I think the Jets have absolutely been that this season. Yes, would you agree? There, like, it, like it, we're talking, it has to be high-level defense, if nothing else. There's no discussion beyond that.
1: No, it would have to be because yes, yeah. yes, yes.
0: So, and then it raises the question. Well, let me ask you this: Actually, when we say high-level defense, are we talking? a defense that gets a lot of stops and makes you and, and gives up very few points in yards, or does it have to be a playmaking defense as well? One that's going to force turnovers, get some swing plays. You know, how, di- how dynamic does your defense have to be? If I guess matters- my answer
1: to that would be, it has to be a playmaking defense because the problem, if you just get stops, not that it's a bad thing, but is that the other team still punts and then you have a long field or a relatively long field. And for a lot of these offenses, the Jets, we don't know what the Browns will look like with Thompson Robinson. Now, um, the question becomes, can these quarterbacks engineer 70, 75 yard drives that take a number of plays, you know, then does, does the running quarterback element come into play, which obviously Thompson Robinson has Zach Wilson does not. Um, You know, does that factor into the equation? And I think it does. Because, you know, ultimately, I think when you look at quarterbacks, you probably have to look with a little bit of a sliding scale at quarterbacks that can beat you with their legs, both improvisationally and by design. Um, So they, they may not have to be perfect from the pocket, you know, super precise from the pocket, because they've got another element that not only enhances your offense, but dictates the way defenses play situationally.
0: Yeah. Do you think Zach Wilson? I hear like he's getting kind of dragged through the mud, and I understand yeah. that. Like the Jets' offensive numbers have not been good. Greg, when I watched the film, he does not look as bad as he did early. I, I, he looks right. more mature. He looks more on schedule, more in control. He—I don't want to say a completely different quarterback, but he—I I think he's a much more mature quarterback than he was. I don't think that's getting acknowledged at all because it, on paper. The Jets have been awful and Wilson's a part of that, I guess, but I guess he's definitely a part of that, but I don't know. What do you, what do you see on the film when you watch him? How How much have you gotten to see of him?
1: Yeah. I, I, to be honest, I haven't seen the game this week, so I can't speak to this week against the Raiders. Again, the numbers, if you just look at the numbers, uh, which is all I have at the moment, they were not bad. Um, I think he's clearly better than he was. Um, I still think, and, and one can debate whether he'll ever get there or not, but I still think he has a ways to go just in in what he sees. And look, you know, you've talked to coaches, I've talked to coaches and had many conversations. The question is, if someone does not see things uh, at, at the necessary, with the necessary clarity and with the required speed, does that dramatically change through the course of their career? You'll get different answers from different coaches because you can only help a quarterback so much. And that's situational. Sure. You can help a quarterback with defined reads and throws on first and 10 or second and three. It's a lot tougher to do that on third and nine, as yeah. you know. So, you know, the question is. Does someone like Zach Wilson get there so that when it is third and nine and he drops back and the defense has the tactical advantage, whether it's through pressures, whether it's through late rotations and coverage, um, is he is he going to get to the point where he he sees that all with clarity? Because as you know, you don't have a lot of time to sit back there and try to figure it out. They they, they don't have clickers like you and I do.
0: Yeah. They, uh, I know when when, he was, when Wilson was playing under Mike LaFleur, I thought that was one of the best-designed offenses in the NFL. And Wilson was unable to execute a lot of what they were doing, a lot of deep intermediate timing-type right. stuff, multi-reads. is a really well-schemed offense on paper, and I think they ran it well, but the quarterback didn't always run it well. Wilson now looks much better, but one thing that stands out, and, Greg, you know coaches, they tell you how they feel about their players by what they call and don't call. It looks like a much more scaled back offense for yeah. Wilson. There's more stick routes, drag in, slant flat type of stuff. I, I, he's on a shorter leash, which is good coaching if that's, the, if that's what you need to do to get him comfortable. But I'd be interested to see. They opened it up. I, I haven't seen the Raiders film yet either. I've seen the previous games. I know there were some games where they were behind and they opened it up, the Charger game, uh, Monday night a few weeks ago. They opened it up a little more in the second half, and I thought Wilson responded pretty decently, but the fact that it wasn't opened up to begin with, I also thought spoke spoke volumes.
1: You know, which raises an interesting question as a coach, uh, particularly the Jets, because they have a, a playoff caliber, arguably a championship caliber defense. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. So the question becomes, because they see themselves as still being in the playoff hunt, as they should, They're still in the playoff hunt. So Robert, Robert Sala's job now is to win games. Now, one could argue, Hey, well, you've got to develop your quarterback to do that. But he also knows that he can probably win some games here without developing his quarterback. In other words, with trying to minimize his quarterback's mistakes, which in the development of a quarterback doesn't help him, but it might help your team win games in the short term. Um, I'm responding to the point you made about the Chargers game because maybe if Wilson was given a longer leash and sort of allowed to play, maybe we'd see, hey, a couple of mistakes that would be head-scratchers, but maybe he would learn through all that and come out on the other end better because I I don't think anybody would disagree that he certainly has a live arm, he's got light athletic feet, he's got traits to be a, a good quarterback, maybe even better than good. But if he's not given the opportunity to kind of play the game, then ultimately this is what you get.
0: Yeah. And my response to that would be, you know, I don't know what to make of this Aaron Rodgers coming back, not coming back. I I have no idea what to make of it at all. Let's say there's some, let's say it's a valid discussion. Like we're not full of hot air. He might actually go. doesn't mean he will, but maybe he will come back. If you're Robert Sala, then you're you're strictly playing to win games because Aaron Rodgers will be your quarterback when he gets back. He's basically and said he, that that
1: when Rogers is ready, he's the guy.
0: And Rogers presumably will be the quarterback next season as well. And Robert Sala, he's focused on this season, but he knows he's got to win to he's got to win now to be the coach next season. So I think he's going to do whatever he needs to do to, to if he has to win ten to six or seventeen. I agree. To 9, I mean that's 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 what he has to do, and that's the best play too. That's that's. So we don't want so he the quarterback about, throwing
1: a bad pick. So he wants to play the game as close to the vest as possible, minimize turnovers. If he has to punt, he's okay with, he'd rather punt, you know, than have Wilson drop back on third and nine and in his mind, maybe not see things and make a bad throw that turns into a pick.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other thing, and your point, your, your point about their offensive is a good one. That that line has struggled mightily. Third down yep. pass protection's been a big issue at times. So all the more reason to probably play a little conservative, keep ahead of the chains you know, you're playing to your strengths and your personnel in that case. Like, what, what, the Jets? Where are they in the standings? You, we have listeners, I'm sure that know everybody's record. It's funny. I, I bet you, the standings are like the last thing you think about when you're watching film all. I know. It, yeah. Isn't that
1: funny? Yeah, Jets are four and five. The Bale's Jets are four and five. five, but they're in a division where they're only two games out. Um, yeah. You know. Now, again, if you look, and if you look at the rest of the AFC with the exception, really, of the AFC North, where there's a 7-3 and three and 2-6 and 3s and a 5-4. and four. I mean, you know, are they in the playoff hunt? Sure. I mean, they play Buffalo this coming week. And, you know, Buffalo's always struggled against the Jets, uh, against the Jets' defense in particular. And right now, we don't know exactly what Buffalo's offense is going to look like.
0: Yeah. By the way, New England 2-8, and eight, Tennessee 3-6. and six. Those are the only two teams that would not look like they're in the playoff hunt at the moment in the AFC.
1: Doesn't yeah. Only so, through so Robert Sala's job is to win games this year. So that's what he's trying to do. Who do you think is their best player defensively? I like
0: it. Remember, you, we, you, and, I, you and I would have those good discussions about the Seahawks defense and the Pete yeah. Carroll number three, the Pete Carroll slash Gus Bradley slash Dan Quinn, Chris Richard days. Uh because what the the Jets just line up and play on defense for the most part. They'll bring pressure once in a while, but once they, in they a while, can just line up and make you out execute well, them.
1: I'll tell you what I think, and I've seen their defense a lot, and I did last year as well. A couple of things stand out to me. They're they're very multiple on their defensive line in their deployment of personnel. They have a number of guys who can line up in different spots. Um, so I, I'm going to mention three players that I think are really important to what they do. I think Bryce Huff is a very overlooked, really good situational edge pass rusher. And I think he has been for a couple of years. He's really good. And then, and they're not talked about a lot. I think their two linebackers are as fast and aggressive as any nickel linebacking duo in the league. And that's Quincy Williams and CJ Mosley. And I happen to think Quincy Williams is a really good player. And when they do blitz, very often he's a part of it because he has tremendous downhill velocity and speed. So, you know, I don't think that those two linebackers get talked about enough, but I think they're absolutely critical to what the Jets are defensively.
0: I agree with you. I've uh, and I know line CJ Mosley's like the linebackers' linebacker. I've been yeah, uh, Sean Lee and I. I bumped into Sean Lee at the airport in Cleveland a couple months back. We hit it off, and we've been having a lot of discussions and I love he is so tremendous at just speaking teaching, uh, teaching talking football obviously at the linebacker position and Mosley is the guy that he raves about I know Mike McDonald when he had him in Baltimore raved about Mosley in ways he hadn't raved about other players because Mosley is so fundamentally sound and yet aggressive and physical yep. at the same time he just <laughs> plays it like you draw it up for the line It's funny for the you game say game. that,
1: you know, I, because the thing that stands out to me about both those guys is how fast and aggressive they play without making mistakes. Yes, that's well said.
0: I wonder how much of that, do you think anything has to do with the fact that they've got a really solid secondary behind them, corners that can consistently win one-on-one outside with that factor in at all, you think?
1: Um, You know, I don't know. That That's a hard question to answer. I mean, I think... Mosley is probably, you know, and, and I'm sure, as as you said, in speaking with Sean Lee, and I would bet that Mosley is just going to play that way no matter what team he's on and who's playing around him. I think he's probably one of those guys that just plays that way.
0: Yeah, and, it's a good point, because at Ravens team he was on for all those yeah. years,
1: it was a very different stylistic defense than what the Jets are. And, you know, I remember watching Quincy Williams a number of years back when he was with the Jaguars. And yep. He flashed on tape. And again, you know, you and I were not there in the building, so we don't know what happened. But I remember noticing this kid and going, boy, this guy is an explosive athlete for a linebacker. And then all of a sudden he's on the Jets. And, you know, to me, he stands out every time I watch tape of the Jets defense. He's another guy that plays at a really high level of speed and velocity. And when they do blitz, he's very often part of their pressure packages.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm always surprised how often, like, the draft guys, like, how comprehensive it is. And the Mel Kuypers of the world, the Todd McShays, all of them have pretty thorough lists. Remember yeah. when Quincy Williams got drafted? I think he was the third round pick, late third round pick of Jacksonville, and he was not on a lot of those draft gurus lists. And everyone's like, what's Jacksonville doing? Was, was he, do you remember that third round pick that no one really knew about outside the NFL? And I know I talked, I remember I, um, Thomas Dimitroff. And in and his office one day, it came up, and he kind of shrugged. It's like, wow, we, you know, he was third round on our board. Like inside the NFL, everybody thought he. Do was you remember
1: what year he him. came out? Because I don't think I did him coming out. 2019. I'm gonna look to see. But I don't think. Faith. I don't think I did him coming out because I don't. remember. Yeah. Normally, the guys I did, I remember. Yeah. Um
0: What's even more incredible is his brother It was a high first-round nope, pick. I did his brother,
1: but I did not do yeah. him.
0: Wouldn't you think if his brother, Quinan Williams, is a high first-round pick, someone outside the NFL would have thought – one of these Twitter draft people would have thought to look into Quincy Williams a little more just just for the tweet potential alone?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, he's he, – he's a really good player. And I think so, so getting back to your original question, those three guys, I mean, and they're not the only, the jets have a good defense. I mean, they got a lot of good players. Um, but I think those guys, if you're just trying to, you know, speak to players that maybe are not talked about a lot nationally, you know, I think the film really shows those three players, Huff, Quincy Williams, and CJ Mosley to really be good players. I think
0: I can get you to, uh, look very favorably on our friends at PFF here. And, if, and it has to do with a subjective stat from PFF. And, you know, I'm not big on that. I'm not big on anyone's subject, subjective stats. Unless you're in the building grading your guys, you know, I respect. I agree. Them, big. The leader in pressure rate in the NFL this season is who would you guess?
1: Pressure rate? You mean who? what, what pass rusher creates the most pressure, even if it doesn't end up in a sack?
0: Correct. What percent of that guy's snaps is he getting meaningful pressure on the quarterback? Now, the clue is, we've just, we've, we right, the, the clue is we've just been talking about the Jets.
1: So it's a Jets and,
0: player? And I told you I think you're going to like the stat at the end of this one.
1: Oh, um, I mentioned Josh Sweat because I watch the Eagles every week and he's always around the quarterback. Yeah, um, no,
0: it's not a bad guess.
1: Um, so he's on the jet. It, it Well, is it Huff? It's your guy, Bryce Huff. Oh, okay. Now, here's the part. Well, there you know, go. Who Who would you
0: guess was the league leader in 2022 as well? Don't tell me it was Bryce Huff. It was Bryce Huff, and it was by a pretty comfortable margin. He doesn't play as many snaps, so no. his numbers aren't as big for, you know, right, right. but according to PFF and their assessment, pressure rate,
1: Bryce Huff's led the league for years now. And it's funny, I spend most of my time, as you do, um, watching tape. Now, I'll jump onto, uh, you know, a stat site, you know, that we use, you know, every once in a while. Um, uh, I mean, I'm on it every day, but I'm not one who takes two hours out of my day to study stats. I'd rather watch tape. I enjoy it, and I feel like I learn a lot more watching tape than just looking at a number on a page. Um, Now, obviously, the people that do numbers, you know, they have to come from somewhere, but I would just rather watch film. So I don't sit around looking at numbers like that, but it's funny because I remember Bryce Hoff going back a couple of years and thinking, wow, this guy's really an explosive edge rusher. And, you know, he pre- pretty much only plays in their sub packages. Um, and I don't think they play much dime. I think they're pretty much a nickel defense. Some yeah. They've had four or five snaps of it. Yeah. The season, yeah. Um, yeah deal. he always stood out to me. I always felt coming away watching the jets defense, like, ah, uh, I notice Bryce Huff every time I watch them, and he can rush yeah. the quarterback. Yeah, who are some of the other underrated edge rushers
0: in the NFL? Would you say? I know we're talking
1: broad, open-ended type. That's of a very here. open-ended question. Yeah. Um, I have to think through some of the teams, and I know you're not trying to put me on the spot. I just have to look at the teams. Yeah. Um, let's see.
0: I mean, we know Dallas is going to I'll tell you ever- who's
1: come on this year, and in my view, because I do see them every week. Um, I think Mafi from Seattle has really become a very good edge rusher in his second okay. year in the league. And I don't know if you've seen much of him. I have. He hasn't stood out to be the way he just described to you, but I know he has played
0: very well. And I've seen, I don't know, five or six of their of their games. That's something I'm, I, I'm a little surprised. They haven't had a big-time edge rusher there in a while in Seattle. No, they haven't. something they need. Because I get the sense, you know, they've got Cl- uh, Clint Hurd as their defensive coordinator now. He comes from the Fangio tree. But if you look at how they're playing, who was it? A few weeks ago they played, and they were just cover three on almost – the Baltimore – it didn't go well with the Baltimore game. And they lined up in cover three every snap. They're still playing as much cover three now as they did just prior to bringing on Clint Hurd. So they're not as – yeah different of a defense as you guess. And I, I, I'm under the belief. I don't think you can play cover three in the NFL, especially on passing downs, unless you've got a four man pass rush. And that's going to start with your edge rushers. Most of the
1: time. Well, I also think it's tough to play cover three. If you don't have an, some way to deal with the seams, which, you know, doesn't mean you have to play that rip is that's the term, you know, everybody uses because of Nick Saban. When you carry, you know, the, the, the slot receiver. Now, Does that mean you have to do that every time? No, not necessarily, because to the boundary, very often the the outside corner can overlap a seam. Um, But you have to have some way to deal with seams. You can't play the old traditional cover three where everybody just sort of drops back, landmark to a spot, and you're leaving the seams open. It's just too hard. It's too hard for your safety. Um, But anyway, there was another edge rusher, and I'm trying to think now if I go back to what I was looking at. And now I, I I've lost my my brain here, but there was some another guy that did stand out to me, and I'm trying to go back looking at the yeah, team because no, right. I thought it was a good one too. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see, God, who was I just looking at? Now it's making the, me crazy. The other, but you can watch Boye Mafi. He's 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 good.
0: Yeah, and the other guy that surprises me a little bit this year is. Uh, there are two guys. I don't want to say they're not – it's going to come off so much more negative than I mean it, and I really don't. Oh, my God, I, well, I got one now too. You got your guy. Well, why don't you do your guy because I'm worried you'll forget it again if we get off some, on something Well,
1: else. this is not the guy, but now I, I was looking at the teams again. I think Granderson from New Orleans is a pretty good oh. edge rusher who, um, you know, is not talked about a lot because he plays opposite Cam Jordan.
0: And I think he's had. I think he's been their best edge rusher this year. I agree. Right?
1: Cam Jordan's their
0: greatest probably in the history of the franchise. But he yeah, may and- be
1: a Hall of Famer. He has about 125 sacks um, in his yeah. career. But uh, but I think Granderson has really, the last year or so, he flashes on tape. He's long. He's yep. He can bend. You know, he's loose-limbed. Um, I like Granderson a lot.
0: Yeah, and they just locked him up to a long-term deal a few uh, yep. a few weeks ago, so they like him as well. The the two guys I thought I'm surprised when I look at the sack numbers. One is Daniel Hunter. Have you seen much of? Uh, oh
1: yeah, 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 for sure.
0: Uh, I actually so, think the uh, the
1: kid who often plays opposite him is a pretty intriguing player too. G- DJ Wanham.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hunter to me, like a, a few years ago, I thought yeah that guy's absolutely elite. He does not come to front of mind right now when I'm thinking of, of high level, the highest level. Of edge right. rushers in the NFL, and I, it doesn't mean he's. It doesn't mean I'm not missing something. I very well could be, but that I'm always surprised. His sack numbers. He's leading the league in sacks. Last I checked.
1: Yeah, I think he has 11 and a half. And and yeah, that, to me that sort of came out of nowhere. But he's been a good pass rusher for a number of years. It's the other kid won him to me that I now he's a guy I did do coming out of college, and he went to South Carolina, and he's got length. You know, he can bend. I mean, one thing about Minnesota. Minnesota is a very odd defense because they lead the league in in blitzing, but they also lead the league in three-man rushes and eight in coverage. So it's a very interesting dichotomy. Yeah. I actually
0: did a – I researched that for about an hour this afternoon. I I was curious what other teams have done it. I had my guy Cody Swartz look into that. I didn't know you were going to bring it up, but I've got the list in front of me right here, Greg, of the t- uh, first of all how many teams would you guess have ever led the league in both of those categories 3 man rush percentage and blitz or 5 man plus rush percentage I mean
1: obviously there must be somebody who did maybe but I mean I can't answer that off the top of my head but that to me is not very common
0: yeah it's not common at all Minnesota's the first that's done it for both there you go for, okay for now there was a team there was one coordinator for a lot of years that if that there's like 8 or 9 teams over the last 15 years that I've been top five in both of those categories. Half of them were coached by the same guy and his team. 2011 insert team. They were first and second in rush and three man Russian blitzes. Do you want to guess who I'm talking about? In 2011, 2011. Yeah. And this guy's coordinated different defenses. A lot of them have been top five and three man rush. Percentage. And he's retired, right? He is retired. Dean Pease. Great guess. no, Greg Williams. Oh, yeah. I felt Greg pretty Williams. good about that guess, though. Yeah, but you know what? Here's a problem with the Dean Pease guess because what he was so great at were the simulated pressures, which is I like, agree, like, I agree, right yes. down the middle of what we're talking about. Like it's like so. Who
1: is it? It's Greg Williams. Oh, that's not surprising. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. By he the other, what? by the way, just to throw out another name, the other player who I think flashes, and they're not a great team by any means. Uh, but it just seems like i've seen a lot of their defense it's probably because of who they played this year and i find him fun to watch and i think he's just one of those guys and if he was on a better team people would talk about him i think dennis gardeck on the, on the uh, cards is a really fun pass rusher
0: yeah i yeah he's he's got some bend to him yeah. he plays I got that motorcycle bend, as you describe it. Yeah. The other, the other guy that I thought was, and he was more productive in the first half of the season than the, than recently. But that's not to say he hasn't been a quality player. as is Van Ginkle in in Miami? I thought he was really destructive. Early. They on. use I mean, what, him though now cool. in
1: multiple ways. He's he's not solely an edge player on the ball. They use him as a, an off the ball stacked backer as well, so he doesn't get as many opportunities to rush the quarterback.
0: Yeah. He's their Micah Parsons.
1: Yeah, although I don't think he's quite as good, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you yeah. see that? Have you seen the Dallas film this week yet? Uh, no, I'm watching. I, I started watching their offense, but I, I you know, I've not seen. Uh, I don't know if I'll see their defense only because of who the Giants' quarterback was.
0: Yeah, one thing they did, and I, I was, I typically will try to skip the backup QB games if I can help it, but. Giants, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to skip them for the rest of the year, so we're going to start watching Tommy DeVito a little bit, and I skipped them last week. But one thing Dallas did this week, they went with five down fronts, and Parsons is the stack backer behind it.
1: So I've, seen, I've seen that, yeah.
0: Yeah, 6-0 yeah. personnel. Kind of, some teams call that penny if it, we're talking a true stack linebacker, 5-1 right. nickel is penny. But Parsons played the stack backer behind a five down front a lot of the time in that game.
1: Yeah, no, I've been watching uh, their off. I wanted to see their offense because, um, and what what I really what struck me about watching, and I'm not finished yet, is the Giants on third down really made a concerted effort to bracket C.D. Lamb. So he's now reached that level of receiver where you know a, a a division opponent feels that they need to bracket him.
0: Yeah, and what I thought Dallas did a great job of was capitalizing on some of those opportunities, branding Cooks on in-breaking routes or crossing routes off of motion against man coverage where he's basically running away from matchup defenders. Yeah. I thought that was the best that Cooks has looked as a cowboy all season, really ever. I mean, all season long, I guess it would be. And I wonder if we're going to start seeing – we always think of Cooks as a vertical weapon. Uh, but in that offense, with the way they're kind of constructed – you know, Lamb's not a pure vertical guy, but he, you just talked about seam routes. He kind of is going to run those seam or stomp or fade routes. He runs a of ton of over routes. Yeah. yeah. And Gallup's kind of a north and south guy. Somebody has to be an underneath or intermediate or, inter, you know, horizontal receiver, if you will. And I wonder if Cooks can, he filled that role really well against the Giants. I'm curious how it would go against zone coverage.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting because I remember when Hooks, Cooks came out. He was great run after catch. He came from Oregon state and that was one of the strengths of his game. And he's been in the league a long time now. It's probably a good 10 years, but he was great run after the catch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He was. How do you think Prescott's playing right now? Um,
1: I think pretty well, you know, did you watch their offensive tape against the giants? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they caught him on his interception.
0: Do you remember the play? He had, yeah, he had the interception against the quarters coverage on the backside flat defender. And then he had one, he got away with that. It was, I believe it was dropped by uh,
1: McCain. Who's the
0: safety that's on every team every year, McCain. Uh, uh,
1: Well, on the interception he threw, the giants caught him because they put Lamb in motion and it ended up being return motion. And it looked like he read that as man all the way. And it turned out not to be man. And, and, and and Flott was just basically sitting on the stick route. You know, he was sitting right in the zone for the most part. But, yeah, they caught him. They got him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, there were a couple of those throws against those split safety zone coverages. Other than that, though, I mean, and it, look, they played with the lead. He was a big part of the lead. I thought oh, somebody, sure. Just physical passing, though, I thought that was about as well as we've seen him play.
1: Yeah. Um, speaking of quarterbacks, and we probably could talk about him every week, the way he's playing. But C.J. Stroud, what really impresses me, you know, it's easy to say, he's play, you know, now the conversation is he's playing great. He's in the MVP conversation. That's not the reason I'm mentioning him. Um, but one of the things that really I think is so impressive about Stroud, and I don't know if you got a chance to see his tape this week. It's, it's worth a look if you haven't, um, is th- what we're seeing more and more of in the NFL is disguise and late rotation. We're seeing more and more of that. And for a young quarterback, Stroud, in in, in a high leverage critical situation, which was the final drive this week, uh, the Bengals showed him disguise and late rotation, and he saw it immediately, and he knew exactly how to attack the new look. And don't forget, all this happens in a second or less. So, you know, I think that's one of the things that has most impressed me about him is just how quickly he processes, you know, and the term that I I like to use is how he eliminates and isolates within the timing and structure of of the play. So he doesn't get stuck in the pocket. You rarely see him get stuck in the pocket. And more often than not young quarterbacks that happens to even ones that are good, but he rarely gets stuck in the pocket. Do you think having such a quick release if
0: that, does that factor into anything? I know, like Levy, I mean, this is a totally different example, but you're gonna see what I'm saying here. Le'Veon Bell was always such a patient runner, and everyone gave yeah. all this credit. And he deserved it, he was great at it. Part of the reason I thought he could be patient is because when he hit his go button, his acceleration from, from zero to sixty, that for really it was his acceleration from zero to twenty, he got going really quickly again. Yep. I wonder if there's a similar effect with the guy that's got as quick and smooth uh, of a release. As CJ Stroud? Like, does he have that much more time to see something before he, you know, even though he sees it quickly, he's had that much more time to see Um, it because the ball's coming out?
1: I mean, I don't know how that impacts the mental element of the game. You know, I don't know how that impacts his quote unquote processing. But I think one of the things that he can do, which absolutely helps him, is because of that compact delivery and because he doesn't really have to stride into his throws is he is able to make throws as the pocket gets squeezed because he's not a strider. You know, we've seen quarterbacks that have been striders, really, really good ones. Matt Ryan was a strider, probably, you know, a notch below a hall of famer. Um, Trevor Lawrence came into the league as a big strider. I think Doug Peterson has done a good job with that staff of kind of tightening him up to some extent, but you can be a really good quarterback and be a strider. But CJ Stroud, does not need a lot of space in front of him to deliver the football. And I think that that always helps um, because, look, in the NFL, obviously you're going to get bodies around you.
0: Yeah, and, and I don't know. Their wide receivers coach, past game coordinator is Ben McDaniels. He was with them in 2021. He's kind of a college guy, mainly his background, back and forth college and pro. And I don't know him at all. He must be doing an unbelievable job between him and Bobby Slowick because that's the uh. other out with Houston is how comfortable their wide receivers look within the context of the scheme. Nico Collins is moving like he's a first-round pick his size, the way he moves. Tank Dell, third-round rookie, is playing at a very high level. Look at what Noah, Noah Brown, Brown has done looked. the last yeah. number of weeks. Noah Brown's looking very good. You know, it's, it's it's I think it's a pretty well-coached offense. Remember the great great. The part people forget, they had their backup offensive line in almost across the board for the first half of the season, they've just now started getting everybody healthy these last few weeks up front. Uh, and, and here they are and they're getting better each week. And then Stroud, as you said, the guy in the middle of it all.
1: Well, it's funny you mentioned the old line because the last two weeks in particular, Laramie Tunsil, and he is such a good left tackle. He is so good in pass protection. He looks like a man am- amongst boys. I mean, just his, his footwork, his balance, his base, um, really strong hands i mean this week he he just handled hendrickson it was easy it was you know it was no problem at all and i forget who they played the week prior um tampa bay tampa bay and they've got two good edge rushers as well in Tryon yeah. and uh and barrett and he handled them with no problem at all he had one bad snap against tampa bay in 75 you know yeah. or whatever the number was you know there are two tackles that are extremely athletic like i've never
0: seen them their heels have never touched the ground on film to me. Like Tunsell is a balls of the feet kind of mover, but it seems like they'll have one or two really bad snaps a game. And you kind of just live with the cost of doing business a little bit. They're hall of famers on every other snap
1: is Laramie Tunsell and Trent Williams is a little bit like that too. Did you see Trent Williams on the touchdown with Samuel this week on the orbit reverse touchdown? His athleticism, he almost runs like a running back when he gets out in space. Yeah. Yeah,
0: he – yeah, and and in the alleys, as they call it, he's as good as anyone that probably – is he the best that's done it in his era? I don't recall any –
1: you know, any – I mean, there have been great tackles, tackles that have been great for different reasons. I mean, I go back to the days of Orlando Pace, Walter Jones, Jonathan Ogden, phenomenal – even Willie Rofe, phenomenal tackles, all Hall of Famers. But the way Williams moves in space – I'm not yeah. sure I've seen someone quite like that.
0: Yeah, I, I did see that. I'm looking at my film notes. I watched it very – I watched it Sunday night, the Jacksonville film. I did see that play. It's to the left, obviously. It's to the left if he's out in space. Yeah, he's as good – I have a, a, a good Orlando Pace story for you, and it's by a guy, I think it's John Benton, who used to coach the Niners offensive line as a veteran O-line coach. But when he first came in the league, he had Orlando Pace as, as Benton's first job in the NFL. And he's, his job is to coach Orlando pace with the Rams. And this was at the height of Orlando pace. And, you know, what's everybody going to, you know, what are you going to do? And right, right, right. there was, he's going through and guys are doing a drill. Said, oh, you know, that's not as good to this guy, that guy, Orlando pace gets up, does the drill. Honestly, he's had better snaps before, but John Benton says, you know, good luck. Good, good work, Orlando. Nice job. And pace took off, you know, stopped and pulled Benton aside and said, you got to coach me. You got it. You, I, I need you to coach me. That was not a good snap. And, you know, I wasn't a good snap. I need you to coach me.
1: And that was his, that was John Benton's introduction to the NFL. Wow. But, you know, I could I could see that with young coaches coming in coaching guys who I've been in the league who are great players. And, you know, it, it made me a little intimidating initially, you know, you're a young coach and, you know, it's, I mean, you're dealing with grown men. You're not dealing with 18 year old kids.
0: No, I mean, think if you're like Davis Webb, for example, who, who wanted to get into coaching coming out of college. He knew he wanted to play, but he knew his long right in right. the NFL was coaching. That was his goal coming out of Cal. And he's, I know one thing that he was pleased with, I spent time at the Jets training camp a few years ago, and Webb was the backup QB there. And he's like, yeah, I'm on like my sixth or seventh coaching staff. And I'm like, oh, it's got to be hard for you. And he's like, no, think of all the different systems and teaching styles I've been exposed to. Like he was thrilled. right he was into it yeah now he's like a 29 30 year old qb coach but his quarterback is russell wilson who's eight years you know five six seven years his senior whatever it is how does davis webb coach russell will like i what you got to coach him still i I'm, i'm curious how you would go about that
1: i i think about that all the time when i'm watching tape with quarterbacks because you know given who's taught me the position guys who the you know some of the best ever to coach quarterbacks. So when I watch quarterbacks, I always think about doing it the right way on every single snap. And I think, okay, you have a veteran quarterback, you know, how do you coach them? You know, because you still want them to do it the right way so they can play to the highest level, snap after snap, after snap. So, you know, I think it ends up, it it ends up being how you approach it, the personal relationship you know, the idea, I assume that you, you develop a rapport with them that they understand that everything you're doing, the goal is to make them better and great. That's the goal. And, and that's where it's coming from. With no matter what I say to you, you know, I'm not going to yell at you. We're, we're going to, it's going to be talking man to man, but everything I say to you is with the goal of making you the best you can be every snap. Yeah. I mean, I would assume that that's kind of, However you decide to say that, maybe not the way I said it, but I think that's how you'd want to get it across. And by the time you get to the NFL,
0: I mean, there, I can think of a few. You and I both privately, we've talked about, we know there are a few quarterbacks that are probably not coachable. They're kind of the movie right. star, madonna cliches, but there aren't very many of those in the league. By the time you get to the NFL, you're probably very receptive to coaching because that's how you. that's, that's been a big part of your process. Right for becoming as good as you are.
1: No, I would think so. And I think, look, very quick story. Um, So Joe Montana obviously played for the 49ers where he had a Hall of Fame career, but then he ended his career with the Chiefs. And I think he played two years with them, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So I, I was very fortunate in my career. Maybe it's the highlight of my career that I got to know Bill Walsh pretty well i um, and spent a good amount of time with him. And he's the one who really taught me the quarterback position and every fine point about it. And that's kind of my foundation for when I study quarterbacks. But Bill Walsh told me that after Joe Montana's first year in Kansas City, and I don't think Bill Walsh was coaching at this time, or if he was, he was coaching in college, not in the NFL. Joe Montana calls up Bill Walsh after his first year in Kansas City. And Joe Montana's a Hall of Famer by this point, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer. And he says, Coach, he says, I didn't think my mechanics were great this past year. Can I come out to see you when we can work on that? I mean, can you imagine you know that's that's to your point about the great ones want to be coached, they want to be great on every single play, and it bothers them when they're not. I, I after a Super
0: Bowl once, the 2014 Super Bowl, I was in the Patriots locker room and I, I the open lockers, you know, everything's on display. And Tom Brady had left a note to himself just sitting on top. Like anyone who walked by could see if, if they're willing to kind of s- slow their roll. They could right, see right, that. right. And I was in there, and like hardly anyone was in there yet. The players were still out celebrating on the field. Almost no media was in there. So I, I, damped, I thought, I'm going to stop and read what Tom – I want to know what Tom Brady wrote to himself before right. a Super Bowl. And uh, he had like f- his four or five items just bullet-pointed, numbered, and it was like the basic mechanics of throwing the ball like if you taught someone how to throw a ball on day 1 it was that's what he'd written to himself right before the biggest game that you could possibly play and that's the greatest that that your guys the greatest of all time and then this tom you know montana now brady's the greatest of all time
1: and that's how those guys treat the position I think the great ones and again I don't want to speak for you know others but my, my guess is because I you know I've had enough conversations as you have had I think great players think about the process as opposed to the result the result yeah. ends up taking care of itself if the process is done correctly as often as it can possibly be done correctly you know and you know and I think that's the way you know the great ones think about it. Like the guy you just
0: referenced, Bill Walsh. And what's remember the the name of his book, The Score Takes Care of Itself.
1: Right. I mean, you know, even, you know, I've seen a number of of, um, uh, things that Nick Saban has said over the years and read some things about him and seen actually some of his, you know, uh, clinics on, 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 on YouTube. And, you know, it's all about the process of doing it the right way. And, you know, I think that's, Ultimately, what you're trying to do, you have no idea. There's so many external variables in a game that you cannot control, but what you can control is your process. So we
0: started talking this conversation. Let's wrap it up here. But we started talking uh, about backup quarterbacks. We meandered yeah. into defense a little bit. Now here we are back to the greatest quarterbacks and how you coach them and the coaching dynamic. One thing that occurred to me as we were talking is when it comes to coaching young quarterbacks, developing young guys, um, there's two stories that stood out to me that, that I've always thought about. And this pertained, these were high, I, I'm not gonna say who they were, but these were high drafted guys sometime in the last 10 to 15 years, quarterbacks, and they had ups and downs early on in their career. And one of them, I, I was able to spend time with his team, uh, I think it was in season, but it was what it was in the meeting rooms and they had two backups in there with them. And one was a veteran backup who'd been around, been on some teams, won some games. Another one was a guy who's barely on the fringe, and he's there because he knew football really well, and he happened to have enough talent to be on a practice squad. Those two quarterbacks would watch the film, and they knew it really well. They were high-IQ football guys, and they knew it really well. And they'd kind of watch and make sarcastic comments. You know, like you could tell they watched it. It was easy to them. And I remember thinking, like, this is so – it's uncomfortable for me sitting here because this young rookie-ish quarterback, first, second-year guy, he clearly doesn't see it that way yet. You know, maybe he will one day, but it's not obvious and easy for him watching the film. But you've got these two other guys in there that have that sardonic kind of teenage-ish attitude where it's really – you know, you don't you don't want to be vulnerable around guys like that. They're they're being sarcastic jerks, and I just right, 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 right had allowed their quarterback room to have that dynamic. But you hear about that, or in this case, I saw that firsthand.
1: No, and you're 100 percent right. That's that, that's why I think coaches talk about, and you know this we've we've all had these conversations with coaches where they use the term room. They say, "Oh, we got a great room." You know, that's really important to them because that's where they spend most of their time. You know, that's, I mean, obviously they practice, but then they spend a ton of time in the quarterback room. Oh, if, if you had two quarterbacks at any position, remember, who was it? Uh, Kevin Barlow. What
0: was the running back for the Niners years ago? Fred Beasley. Kevin Barlow was his name. And, and Beasley was an old school lunch pail guy, and Barlow was a new school rubs everybody the wrong way guy. That's just spades of spade. They hated each other, and it was public knowledge those guys were in meetings all day, every day together. Can you imagine what that – I remember uh, – I appreciate that with the Rams, how often when I was there I'd see the kicker, the long snapper, and the punter do everything, and, and, and they've got more time than the other guys. So they've got to come up with games to play sometimes. Right,
1: right, right, right.
0: Can you imagine if you hated one of those guys in your little group of three, what, how your season
1: would feel compared to – I know, I else? mean, I think about that all the time. Imagine if you just had a – like I have – we have five people that work uh, with me. I don't want to say for me. I don't like to talk like that with me on the matchup show. I can't imagine working if I like hated one of them or, you know, we didn't get along at all. Like just having a conversation was problematic, you know, Uh, which by the way, that happens on NFL teams.
0: Oh, that happens in a lot of workplaces, but yeah. 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 The other real quick, the other dynamic and the quarterback room that I heard about that really surprised me was there was a younger Quarterback coach and uh, kind of a veteran QB. And because of the proximity and age, young QB coach, older veteran QB, they're both early 30s or so. I think they'd played together for a while. They had a really close relationship. They were good buddies. Problem was, the starter was another young guy who had not played with them 10 years ago, wasn't in on all the inside jokes, didn't have the same sense of humor. He's trying to freaking learn football. And the, right, right, and, the right. and the veteran coach, because they're such good buddies, the quarterback room took over that dynamic. And, and if you'd walked in, you would have thought the young starter was the practice squad QB just based on how the room right. felt. And guys, I tell you what, that's the kind of thing that—that's where coaching staffs. When you change a coaching staff, guys hate that. You know, someone who's not involved in that situation, a coach comes in and sees that. There's no chance that assistant QB coach is keeping his job if, if that's. What everybody's observed. And That's
1: always the issue when you have a young quarterback playing well, even if the team, let's say, as a whole is not playing well. And as, as an owner, you have to then decide. I think the commanders may be a team that falls into that category. Um, Sam Howell's playing really good football for a first year starter and looks like he'll be a real quality NFL quarterback. And they have a new owner who may want his guy to be the head coach. So do they start from scratch and now bring in a, a brand new OC and a brand new quarterback coach? You know, who knows? I, I have no idea how this is going to play out. But I'm just saying, playing off your stories, you have to be careful about that. Because I remember Dick Vermeil, who used to come in here when, when Ron Jaworski was you know, on the matchup show and Coach Vermeil would come in a good amount of the time. And and it was unbelievable the things he spoke about, not just watching tape, but just in general about the environment of being a head coach and what that means for the team. And he said, when you have a young quarterback, he said, particularly a high draft pick. Now, Sam Howell's not, but he's clearly a young quarterback who's their guy. He said, everybody in the building has to be focused on making that guy a great player. That's the whole point of the building. He said, the administrative staff, the janitor – everybody has to be working toward making the young quarterback a great player. And if they're not, he said, then they're counterproductive to what needs to get done. And I I never forgot that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great way to put it. Let's end on that note then my friend, Greg Cosell. I'm Andy Benoit. This is behind the screen podcast. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Thanks for listening.